Good morning. Welcome to Allie and Pacera with her friend James Ball. I'm Alan Allie. He's James Ball. We're coming to you on Facebook Live. James, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you, Alan? I'm well. You're sequestered in downtown Portland, I see. I am. And Jennifer, this is my house. This is not a bar. <laughs> <laughs> it's a house that looks like a bar. This is my house. Yeah, it's your anyway. coffee bar house. Yeah. So um, I wanted to talk today about a couple of things. One was uh, Joe Biden's speech and the response to it by Senator Tim Scott. And the other one was just kind of an update on COVID. And I know we could go for probably four hours on COVID and the response and what's going on here, certainly what's going on here in Oregon on it. So I, uh, let's start with Biden's speech. So I watched the speech. Uh, there were a couple things that struck me. One is, and James, you've talked about this a lot, the overt maskness of the whole thing. So he's giving his speech, and Pelosi and Harris are behind him, and they're prominently masked up. And you pan the Senate, and they're all spaced out, and everybody's masked up. And it, it was, it's, it's just weird. Right. How, I mean, much you want, how much do you want to bet that every single one of them is vaccinated? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. 100% of them. Yeah. Right. They're all vaccinated yeah. and they're all distanced from each other. And it was kind of like some kind of weird scene from a movie, you know, where we're trying, we're, the, the drones are presenting this information and they, they want to convey this message, you know, that the virus is all around you. And it was just, so that whole thing was just weird. And you've, you've talked about this, um, that it's really just a symbol, right? It, it's a show. Yeah. It's, it's trying to present a message, a, a, a nonverbal message that to the nation that says, Hey, you still need to wear your mask. You still need to social distance. Even if you, you know, you're vaccinated, but it, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, there's, there's a zillion of examples of this. Um, the, the NBA, you know, you got these guys breathing and sweating on each other. And then five minutes when they go sit on the bench, they have to put their masks on. I mean, it, the, the, <laughs> that, that's what this is. It's, it's trying to convince people to continue wearing your masks. Um, e even if, uh, the, the people wearing the masks are vaccinated and they, and they don't need them. Right. So like, I, I kind of get it. I don't really like it. I, I would much prefer the government just be honest with us rather right. than trying to do these kind of subtle nonverbal cues. Uh, but hey, I mean, that's why I'm a Republican, because I, I just want people to tell me the truth rather than give me like make me figure it out on my own. Yeah. So that whole thing kind of was spooky to me and 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 kind of puts me off. Um, second thing is Joe looked good. He spoke well. Um, you know, I hate to say it. They've got the meds right, right? That he's, uh, he's coherent, lucid, read the message well. The other weird thing was, and I've never noticed this before in a speech like this, it was like Pelosi and Harris were hovering over him, kind of, <laughs> you know, coaching him through the whole process with, with, uh, with their uh, brainwaves or something. I don't know. I mean, it, it just, <clears throat> it just struck me as odd and I, I'm probably reading way more into it than I should have, but, but the whole thing just struck me as odd. Um, then when you get into the messaging, the message was free stuff, for everyone and you're not going to pay for it. And uh, the, the quotes were, uh, healthcare is a right, not a privilege in America. Um, nobody that uh, works 40 hours a week should be below the poverty line. And all of this stuff is going to get paid by someone else. And the someone else are people that have billions and billions of dollars and all they have to do is give us a tiny fraction of the billions and billions of dollars that they have 
and that's going to pay for everything. Um, the problem is the, the math never works out on that. And, and I mean, first of all, the math doesn't work out. Second of all, these billionaires you're talking about are also really good at avoiding paying taxes. Um, this The only way that system works, we talked about this before that we went live, the only way that system works is if you keep the money printer turned on. If the Fed keeps printing money, you can just dump money into the, into the, the economy and, you know, it, then you've got inflation, you've got all sorts of other unintended consequences, but um, I, I, don't, I don't see that working in reality. No, and it's this, it's this whole thing of, he, he, he goes through the whole thing and it's government programs, government jobs, government construction, government this, government that, the government's gonna do all these things, the government's gonna create these jobs, the government's gonna create good paying jobs, the government's government, 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 government. He never said, we're going to unleash the innovation of the private sector. He never said we're going to encourage um, investment in, in these ways. Um, he never said anything about uh, small business people and the backbone of America. And, you know, he didn't talk anything about innovation. It, there might have been a little bit. I may, be, I may be overstating it. But the way I heard it was government jobs, government wages, government oversight, government, 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 government is going to create all these opportunities. And, uh, you know, I started thinking about it and I said, I, I don't know that if I'm working on a, uh, you know, the, we had that with Russia, we had that with China before China turned toward capitalism. And I don't know that I'd want to work in the old Yugo manufacturing facility in Russia, right? <laughs> Right. Where you're cranking out products, government products are, are products that are built by the company that was the lowest bidder. Um, and I, I don't want to work in the Yugo factory, right? <clears throat> Yet, that's what he was, that's what he was pitching, this, this, this giant embrace by government programs. I, I, it, I, you know, I, I don't I mean, know. I'd be curious if people are listening and, and watching. We've got the comments up and running. If you had different comments on it, I'd be, I'd be glad to hear from you. The thing is that this has been tried before. It's been tried in Russia. It's been tried in China, where the, the goal is everybody's employed and everybody has government jobs. And if there's no jobs to be, if there's more unemployment than there are jobs, you create jobs. And you have people sitting around, people doing nothing. You build inefficiencies into your processes so that people can have jobs to go shuffle papers around. And it's, um, I don't know, look at how the Soviet Union turned up. Like, it, it doesn't work. People are, are, the human nature is people to be greedy and selfish. And when you have, in order for these grand socialist things to work, you need people to be altruistic and people just aren't. You know, and you're, you're going to get the power hungry are going to rise to the top and they're going to demand more power. You're going to have, you know, lazy, selfish people, which we all are, are going to take advantage of the system. They're going to do, you know, get paid more for less work and all. And, and the system can't sustain that. You know, I mean, there's there's absolutely flaws in capitalism and it needs to be uh, restrained by government and have certain guardrails in effect. I mean, we don't want to go back to the days of the industrial revolution where people were, you know, working 16 hours a day, six days a week. Um, so you, you do need some government influence there, but it, the, you can't, you can't go too far or the, or the system implodes too. There's a, there's a fine line between true capitalism and socialism. And we're, we're floating way too far toward the socialist end of things in my opinion. So you, you said something that I, I wanted to follow up on about greed. So are you, are you the Gordon Gecko uh, quadrant of <laughs> economic theory where greed is good or is greed just what it is? Greed's just natural, you know, and like, I mean, that's what, that's what capitalism is, is it takes people's innate greed and selfishness and uses it for the betterment of society. You know, I, I, you know, I am a business owner and I want to work as much as possible because working more gets me more money and gets more money for my business and allows us to build and grow and expand. Um, 
in a sense, that's greed. But at the same time, in order for me to do that, I need to provide a good service at a, at a good price and get customers to come in and, and use my business. So the, the greed and selfishness, essentially, of me wanting to build and grow my business uh, are, are what drives good customer service and not cheating people and um, right. you know, providing a, a service that people want. Well, so you, you do that the other way around where the government is forcing you to do something and, you know, your, your greed and selfishness, all of a sudden, my, my money and my prestige and the, the growth of my business no longer comes from my customers. I don't have to go and provide a good service to my customers. All I have to do is get the government to give me more money. Right. And that is a much different process. I don't need to provide a good service for the government to, to provide me money. I just need to convince the government that I do. I don't need to provide good customer service. I don't need to get good reviews. I don't need to treat my customers well. All I need to do is write my grant proposal properly and I get money. Right. So and the greed then goes against the government rather than, you know, for the betterment of society. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Alien Pacero with James Ball. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349. 6349 or proliftdoors.com Portland. Welcome back to Alley and Pacero. I'm Alan Alley <clears throat> with our friend James Ball. James joins me on this beautiful sunny Sunday morning. We're sequestered here talking about our favorite thing, politics. And we're talking about Joe Biden's speech and about how he, it was really what I call the Santa speech, which is where I'm Santa and I'm going to give you free stuff. And it literally gets synthesized out of air. There's a couple of people that are going to pay for it. And and literally he goes through and says there were, I forgot what the number was, but handfuls of billionaires whose net worth increased by trillions in the last five years. All we need to do is take a little bit of those trillions and we can have all this free stuff. And, One of my friends recently did uh, some research on this, and the the data is actually, oh, he talked about the highest income earners paying their fair share. If they just paid their fair share, then we'd be fine. Well, here's the the data on that. Um, The share of income, of all the income in the United States, uh, earned by the top 1% is 21%. So the top 1% earned 21% of all the income in the United States. Their share of federal income taxes was 40%. So they earned 21% and they pay 40% already. And so the question is, what is their fair share? They're, they're already paying basically twice as much as their income says they would pay if it was just pro rata across everybody. Um, how much of it do you take? And at what point do you create a tax environment that's so pejorative to the highest income people that they opt out? Um, a lot of my friends, my, my liberal friends, like to point out that we had a point in time right after World War II, where the top income bracket tax rate was like 80, 90%, something like that. And what I point out is that the the richest people just didn't earn any income that fell into that category. If you worked there were a for- a lot of loopholes, right? Yeah, if you, if you worked for a big company, that's where you got a company car was provided or two company cars were provided and your apartment was provided and your house was paid for your country club membership was paid for that all this stuff. And that was all business expense that went against expenses in the business and therefore lowered earnings. So 
but the, the the thought is, and he presented it over and over and over again, that you're not going to pay for all this, right? Free healthcare, free education. You're not yeah. going to pay for any of that. And I, oh, by I the can, way, the only way you're going to have a job is that the government created it. I, I think this whole high income paying for things, I think that's just a red herring in the first place. Um, the richest of the rich people make their money on capital gains. I mean, I look at Elon Musk. He, he went from like the eighth richest person in the world to the first richest person in the world because Tesla went from 100 to, you know, 1200 or whatever. Um, they had a stock split in there. But it, regardless, um, it's for him in particular, it's unrealized capital gains. So like what they do is they'll, they'll go back and forth about this top earners or whatever. But the, the top earners who would actually be paying that rate are your doctors and lawyers and CEOs. Right. And yeah, CEOs make a lot of money, but it's, but the CEO of, of Intel, I think makes 20 million a year compared to Elon Musk's 20 billion. You know, it, he's, he's absolutely the top 1%, but he's not the, the person that Biden's referring to, you know? Yeah. So this is, this is, and this is kind of a, a, a non-Republican thing that, that I, a stance that I have, is, and actually um, it's one of Biden's, plans is a progressive capital gains tax rather than just a flat 20% or whatever. And so um, similar to the way that, you know, your, your income is taxed progressively, this would be, you know, if you, if you make a thousand bucks on capital gains, you, you pay zero tax, but if you make a million on capital gains, you're paying, you know, 49 or, or whatever. Um, and I believe that they keep the, and this is, I don't know, put on my tinfoil hat here, but I believe that Congress and politicians keep that, keep the discussion on earners, people who like high income earners, because none of them make their money that way. They all make their money off capital gains. And so if they can keep us, the plebs, complaining about the CEO of Intel, who's making 20 million a year. Oh, and by the way, he's already paying the top 39, right. you know, 36.9 or whatever percent tax. Um, if we can, if they can keep us complaining about him, they get to keep taking their their massive checks to the bank, and they don't get taxed themselves. So, so I don't know. That's that's my tinfoil hat. But the biggest earners so, make their money on capital gains, not on earn, not on earned income. Well, and the the thing that you pointed out is, and to explain to people, I'm I'm sure most of you understand this, but capital gains are. Um, are gains that you make on investments. So you buy Apple at $10 a share 20 years ago, it's now worth $1,000 a share, you sell it at 1,000, that difference is a capital gain. If you buy a house for $100,000 and 20 years later it's worth $500,000, that gain is a capital gain. It's different than what they call W-2 income, which is just what you get on your paycheck, it's your salary. So the, there's many, many tricks with capital gains. First of all, they're usually taxed lower. And the idea is it encourages people to make those investments. And this is where they want people to plow their money back into investments. They, they don't want it just sitting in the bank. They want it invested in real estate. They want it invested in businesses. They want it invested in things. And that's a... Uh, it's a, a, an encouragement to have people to um, to participate in capitalism. That's the that's the bottom line. So that's what capital gains are. You mentioned that Elon Musk is worth whatever it is, a hundred billion dollars or whatever his number yeah, is now. Something like that. <clears throat> he doesn't have a hundred billion dollars in the bank. He has a hundred billion dollars of Tesla stock. That that if he sold it he would have $100 billion of capital gains. He never sells it. Right? He, yep. Elon Musk lives off of, 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 of a couple million dollars a year or something. I mean, it, which sounds, <laughs> it, it is a lot of money, but relative to the amount of stock he has. Now, Elizabeth Warren was the one that said, ah, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put a property tax on... The, the money that they've got, the unrealized gain, I'm going to put a property tax on that. And if you think about it, a property tax is on, is on unrealized gain in your house. So your house has gone from 100000 to 500000 
they, your property taxes have gone up 5x or more in that period of time. They're taxing you on the gain that you've had without ever realizing it. With stocks, that never happens, right? So I, I, the real scary thing is that they start to go, ah, we're going we're gonna to start taxing unrealized gains, just like we do with property tax. If you own, if you own stock, why shouldn't you be taxed if, the same way somebody that owns a house is taxed? And that's, that will fundamentally tear up the, the landscape that we have because it's extremely difficult to calculate. So if you have money invested in a uh, venture capital fund and you know they're halfway through their investments, nobody knows what those investments are actually worth. They're not publicly traded. There's no way to value them. But somebody would level, level a tax on you at that point in time. It also makes the tax system incredibly more complicated, which means you have to have lots and lots more infrastructure and oversight um, but I think that's, go along where, with it. that's where I think they're headed. You can't. Yeah. I, I was just reading an article today where um, some, some of the, the, you know, socialist Scandinavian countries are, have started to, uh, or, or at least play with the idea of a tax on bank accounts, where yes. if you have more than X amount of dollars in, in a bank account, you're taxed 1%. And I mean, like Elon Musk is a, is a great example. You, you know, you pro say he probably, I mean, let's say he lives on $10 million a year, which is still, you mm -hmm. know, an exorbitant amount of money, but he's got $100 billion in Tesla stock. If you're taxed that even 1%, he's living off $10 million a year and his tax bill is $100 million a year. And that's 1% of his unrealized gains. Right. I mean, imagine, imagine that in any other circumstance where your tax bill is 10 times what you actually live off in a year right just just on um, i mean just it, it's it's crazy um but what i mean what my my standpoint is and this is i think what the biden plan was was to you just tax realized gains so when you sell instead of being taxed at a flat 15 or 20 percent it's you know it, it, it's progressive yeah similar right. to your income tax where the more that you make the higher percentage you pay and I think right. that's reasonable. So now you have, and you know, there's lots of economic arguments for and against, but I think that's reasonable because you have, like I said, you've got the Warren Buffett of the world who, instead of paying 15 to, he, he famously said one time that his secretary pays a high, is in a higher tax bracket than he is because he pays her, you know, six figures. And so she's right. paying 36.9% federal tax, whereas all of his gains are capital gains. And so he's paying 20. So, and, you know, Warren Buffett, of course, you know, complains that he can, he's, he's able to tax, to be taxed more, but if you put in a progressive income tax, you know, now Warren Buffett's in the same tax bracket as, as his secretary, he's still, he's paying that 36.9% same as she is. Right. And I, and I think that's, I think that's reasonable. Right. We've got to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Ali and Pacero with James Ball. When we come back, I want to talk about the difference between real estate gains and gains made in the stock market and how they're treated differently. The Portland Spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. Welcome back to Allie and Pacero. I'm Alan Allie with not Jim Pacero. He's on sabbatical with James Ball, our millennial conservative friend. And we're, we're talking about Biden's speech. We got into taxes and how taxes are done. Uh, one of the things that's fascinating here is the, the chasm that's developed between capital gains on real estate and capital gains made through stock purchases with real estate. And this is why Donald Trump paid no income tax basically. And, and I wish he just would have said that. <laughs> I wish he right. just would have said, look, I don't pay a lot of income tax. And the reason is you guys developed all these programs and schemes 
<clears throat> that protect people that invest in real estate. So with real estate, you pay property tax on your real estate. With stocks, you don't pay a property tax on your stocks. So that's one difference, disadvantage for owning stocks or disadvantage for owning real estate, advantage for owning stocks. When you sell your real estate, you can roll your capital gains over into new real estate in what's called the 1031 exchange. And that allows you to take all of your gains. So if you bought this building for 100,000, sold it for a million, and then you roll that over into a new building that's worth more than a million dollars, you never pay capital gains tax on that. You just kind of keep going. So this you is You defer how, it. So your, your cost basis for your new building is now 100,000, and right. even if it's a $10 million building. So when, if and when you do finally sell, you do have to pay it. But to your point, which I'm sure you're getting to, is you can roll it forever. So forever. Sorry, go ahead. Right. So that's what happens is, and this is why you see real estate families that have invested in real estate, where it just kind of keep, the portfolio keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing and growing. When you sell stocks, there is no such thing as a 1031 exchange. You get hit with capital gains when you sell the stock. You can't uh, buy Apple at $10 a share, sell it for 1,000, roll it into Google stock at $1,000 a share and take the ride. You, it doesn't work that way. So that's all of a sudden big, big advantage on, on the real estate side. Now, the other thing that is a little mind bending on the real estate side is there's a thing called depreciation. So you own this building and it is classified as a depreciating asset. So you get to write off a certain percentage of the value of the building over, I can't remember years. if it's 20 years 30. or 30 years, but it's a, a long yeah. period of time. That depreciation expense is used to offset any gains that you have. But the reality is that building is probably appreciating in value. So you are, you are depreciating an asset that actually is appreciating. And again, on the stock side, you do not depreciate stocks. <laughs> I mean, you don't, you don't get to write that down. So there are massive advantages and you can start to see how a guy like Trump with his family wealth over the years and, and then you, you use trust and things to pass it down through the generations just keeps accumulating this massive asset that is appreciating that you're getting huge write-offs on depreciation and you're basically never paying any tax, right? And so the result is people put a lot of money into real estate and what you get is these bubbles Right. And hugely, I mean, people will complain on, on millennial, for, millennial forums a lot, will complain about the cost of housing, how housing has gone up, you know, hundreds of percents uh, over the past, you know, couple of decades. And this is one of the reasons is that, you know, if you're a rich person and you have an option of where you put your money, you put a lot of it into real estate and that caused, you know, more, more demand or more, yeah, more demand and flat supply makes the prices go up. Yeah. And then it com combined with, all the regulation and red tape that costs and costs to build more supply and your supply doesn't grow as fast as demand does. So government so, interference ad advantage, like adv making it adv advantageous for rich people to buy and also government regulation, making it difficult for you to build more supply and uh, you get a, a huge increase in property values. So I would love to see a massive simplification of everything. And another Another data point that we have is that um, the top 50% of all taxpayers, so from the middle point up, pay 97% of all the federal income tax. The bottom 50% pay 3%. And that's a little misleading because also you have things like earned income tax credits and things that go, those are tax expenditures that go to the lower earners. So basically the bottom 50% don't pay any income tax at all. And there's a huge bureaucracy around 
redirecting money from the top 50% to the bottom 50%. So I would like everybody to pay taxes, even if we have to give money to people in the bottom 50% and then have them give a portion of it back. Because I feel like we all need to be in the same boat. We all need to be aligned. We all and, need to be contributing to the system. Yeah. yeah. And, the, and the reverse would be you dramatically simplify taxes for the top 50% and um, make them pay, quote, a fair share um, in a very transparent, straightforward manner and get rid of all this junk. Now, this position is an untenable position because there are so many special interests that I would, the real estate special interests would go after me, the, you know, the capital gains people would go after me, that, you know, everybody goes after you. But, but as an American, I, I think we, we all, the first thing is let's all get in the same boat. Now, maybe some of us uh, are paying more, you know, pulling harder <laughs> or whatever, making more, we can pay more. I do think a progressive tax rate across the thing uh, can work, but well, it's, it's necessary for our system. I, like if you if you had everybody pay the same percentage, uh, it, it simply wouldn't work unless you were, like you said, giving money to the poorest of the poor and then having them give it back. But I, I think this is my data is really old. But last I heard that the, the average is like six or eight thousand dollars per person is what it costs to maintain this. Mm -hmm. And so if you're only making 25,000 a year, you know, right. six or 8,000 is, oh, that's a, that's a significant portion of your, of your income. So that I, but you're right. Another, I mean, another, <laughs> another group that benefits from this is the, uh, the tax prep people. Oh, I mean, imagine, imagine like the, you know, the turbo tax and, and those folks, oh. Liberty tax, all, all the, all the CPAs and stuff who make money off, off tax season. Imagine if that industry went away. I mean, those folks are, are pretty powerful lobbyists as well. So anyway, to your point, it'll never happen. We've got too many, uh, <laughs> too many fingers in, in the pot and people making money off this inefficient system to, uh, anyway. Yeah. No, I just did the, the number. If the federal budget is $4 trillion, roughly, and there's 350 million people, that's $11,000 a person. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. Right. How does that yeah, happen? And that's meant that's uh that's working or not. So family that's of four, people, that's people, right? Forty k. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So again, again, is... in, in, in you would have to significant in order. Um, we got a comment on here. Understand what makes the rationale that makes the progressive tax reasonable. Uh, it's not reasonable. It's necessary. Uh, if for our current system, you know, eleven thousand dollars per person. Like I said, family of four, that's forty four thousand dollars. Um, family of four. There's a lot of people that don't make. $44,000 a year. So you're talking their entire, they would have to pay their entire paycheck to the government to maintain the system that we have now. If you were to try to come up with a flat tax, you would have to, um, you'd have to significantly cut services. And the biggest services being uh, Medicare and Social Security, which no one, I mean, not no one, but the majority of Americans don't want to cut so, or, or defense. So that so those are a, the big three, Def, defense, a, Medicare, and Social Security. A different take on that is if everybody paid, you know, I think the number was as low as 15% or so. The, the people that make more money would pay more in dollars. You're equating it to $44,000 if everybody paid the same oh, dollars. Oh, sure. Yeah. Right? Okay. You're right. You're right. I was, so yeah. so you, the progression doesn't have to be very great. You know, it can it can be a very gradual progression. It doesn't have to be that the top pays eighty percent and the bottom pays zero, which is what we're what Biden is moving us to. Uh, we've got to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Alan Pacero with James Ball. I do want to get in and talk a little bit about COVID and what we're doing here in Oregon. Um, I know we have people all over the country that listen and uh, kind of compare notes on that. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero <clears throat> with our friend James Ball. We're talking about taxes. We're talking about all this came out of Joe Biden's uh, Santa speech 
that he gave, really. Um, one of the things we're talking about, I do want to explore a little bit more, are other things that we could do. <clears throat> we talked about a flat-ish tax, um, giving money that's a universal basic income type approach. Um, you know, another one that's, that is actually interesting, and I, I hesitate to say it <laughs> because it's the third rail of Oregon politics, but nationally, would be a consumption tax, uh, a value-added tax, where if you buy stuff, you get taxed on it. And I think there's, there's something intellectually that strikes me as intellectually honest about this, is that if you have, <clears throat> excuse me, if you have the income to make that purchase, um, you've made a decision to allocate that income to buy that thing. And you've, made the decision to buy a Tesla Model S rather than a uh, Toyota Corolla, let's say. Um, it does make sense to me that paying tax based on your decision to allocate your money makes more sense. Because I'm, I'm a big guy around when somebody once said to me, Alan, when, when you earn a dollar, all you've earned is the right to reallocate that dollar. You, you earn the right to say, I'm going to give it to a charity. I'm going to give it to my church. I'm going to save it. I'm going to give it to my kid's education. I'm going to go buy my fancy car, right? right. Um, when the government taxes you, they are taking away your right to reallocate that and saying, we know better than you do, Alan, how that money should be allocated. We're smarter than you. Because you don't, you don't see all the things that need to be done. So my whole thing is I want more allocation decisions to be made by the people that earned that money and less allocation decisions to be made by other people who I think are very inefficient in making those decisions. So if I've made the decision to allocate my money to buy a item like a Tesla Model S for $140,000, I could see that, there, that a tax on that, on, on consumption, um, actually makes more sense to me than a tax on earnings. Um, to, to, make the, to make that work, I think the consumption, if you only had a consumption tax, I think it has to be astronomically high, right? Mm -hmm. um, but intellectually, it, it seems to make sense to me. And, and so the, the, the problem, not the problem with that, but one of the things to consider is that, and again, this maybe, I don't know, this is maybe a little less Republican of me, but the, the richest of the rich do not buy things in proportion to how much they earn. You know, um, if, you're, if you're low income, you're a lot of times spending your entire paycheck on things. And a lot of that's, you know, usually exempt from sales tax, you know, food and necessities. Um, but if you're a multimillionaire and you bought a, a yacht, you know, next year when you make another million dollars, you're probably not going to buy a second yacht, you know. So it, it yes, and, yes and no, it, it, it kind of shifts the tax burden down to the to the lower, lower income middle class folks um, and away from the, the highest earners. Which, I mean, you could, maybe you could, I think to your point, it would have to be astronomically large in order for it to work. Because like I said, you're not buying, billionaires are not buying a new yacht every year. Um, well, and we actually did it years ago. We have a luxury tax on yachts and airplanes and cars over $50,000. And, and what happened is people would buy them overseas and then bring them back. <laughs> well, and it failed miserably because the other right. thing that they do is, and then, the yacht business went completely in the tank. And to my point that I've made before, working for a company that builds a yacht for Tiger Woods, those are great jobs. I mean, they pay well, you're working on interesting things, you're developing products that are really, really cutting edge because Tiger's a guy that can afford anything. Um, so what happened is yacht sales just collapsed and people would find ways around it. But the other thing that they did is they refurbished old yachts. 
So they go through and mm -hmm. take an old yacht, rip everything out and refurbish them, zero tax. Old airplanes, same thing happened. They took airplanes out of service, re-wing the airplane, re-engine the airplane, do a whole new interior in the airplane. So it's not a perfect solution. And we have examples of where it, it didn't work before. But and like I said um, before, the richest of the rich have the ability and the, um, the, the intelligence, I guess, to, uh, to hire the right people and to avoid paying these taxes. So yeah, yeah. You, you, you get a, uh, a yacht company that manufactures out of Greece, and then you park your yacht in the Mediterranean, you register yeah. it out, of, out it of Italy, and uh, you never bring it back. And so all of those manufacturing jobs that used to take place um, in Florida now move to Greece, and uh, you, the government still doesn't make any money because right. the, the yacht just stays in the Mediterranean, which is where well, it was going anyway. So <laughs> The other theory at the very highest level is you tax behaviors that you want to discourage, yeah. right? So <laughs> taken to the extreme, when you tax raw income, you're trying to discourage raw income. And lo and right. behold, you do discourage raw income because the people at the very top end never realize the gain. They never create the income. So yep. we have all these gains that are locked up in buildings. We have all these gains that are locked up in stock. Nobody ever realizes those gains because they're not going to give 40% of the gain to the government plus 10% in Oregon or 11 or 12% in Oregon and maybe 3% to Multnomah County. No, it's like, no. Biden said that <clears throat> at one point in his speech, he said, oh, we're going to raise the top rate. It's only going to get up to where it was when George Bush was president. We're just going to raise it up to about 40%. I think it's 39.5%. And I thought, how on earth do, do we get to the point where somehow we need a government that's so massive where 39.5% of everything that everybody earns is necessary to perform the functions of the government. It's, it, it's beyond my imagination. And that if the, if the federal government needs 39.5%, that our state government needs 11 or 12%, whatever it is now at the state level. Something so, like that, yeah. so combined, you're over, you know, you're at 50%. Half of, half of everything that everybody earns is required to run the government? It's 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 literally beyond my imagination that 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 we need that much. And then that the services the services yeah. are basically horrible. <laughs> well, this is this is why we need to be eternally vigilant as as Republicans as conservatives and fight back whenever they go to increase the size and scope of the government because once it increases, it's very hard to decrease again. And like I kind of mentioned earlier, the most, the, most, um, the, the most expensive things the federal government spends money on are also the most popular. Um, mo you, if you were to hold a vote today, I don't think you would get rid of Medicare or Social Security or cut the defense budget, maybe yeah. defense. I mean, the, the left likes to try to cut, cut defense, but um, you, know, you could cut a lot of bureaucracy and it wouldn't make a huge dent because the majority of money that's going into the government goes to Medicare and Social Security. So, um, yeah, I, I agree. I think it's incredible that we need 50% of every dollar that goes to the government. And it's a bit of a, but at the same time, you, you can never, you can't really walk those back. You, the way that, the, you know, any, any political party that says we're going to get rid of Social Security and Medicare um, right. is, is never going um, no. to never gonna, never gonna get anywhere. And, and, you know, you could make the conservative argument of you will no longer have to pay these taxes. You can reallocate that money however you want. You can put it into a higher earning interest account. And, you know, you don't have to rely on the government and they're, you know, because I don't think, <laughs> I think uh, Social Security isn't even invested. It's just kind of thrown in. No, a, it isn't. In a it's just fund. an obligation. So if you were to, if you were to keep that money for yourself, throw it in a money market account, make it a couple percent a year, you're doing better than you would have letting the government manage your money for you. But most of the majority of people, 
Yeah, the majority yeah, of people Bush are not. Tried that he got eviscerated. That. Because yeah. And it's, it, yeah, go ahead. So we've got to take a break. We will come back. We'll talk about um, investing your money versus government investing it. This will get us into PERS, and then we can do a segment or two on COVID. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Alien Pizarro with her friend James Ball. Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503-558-6349 or proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Welcome back to Ali and Pacero with her friend James Ball. Jimmy is still on sabbatical. We'll try to get him back here in a few weeks. Um, we were talking about uh, investing your money and how Social Security is not invested. In fact, Social Security is a defined benefit, right? It's yep. a, you made this much during your career, we will pay you this much as a promise. It's not a defined contribution plan. Social Security is the ultimate PERS benefit. It's PERS <laughs> for all, right? The Public Employee Retirement System benefit here in Oregon that's a defined benefit program. Um, and the only thing that keeps Social Security afloat, they used to try to set money aside and kind of do the same thing that we do here in Oregon, where you'd set money aside and you do an actuarial analysis of how much money that you needed to pay the benefit over. The, and finally, they just said, yeah, you know what, we're not actually setting that money aside. We're just going to pay, we're just going to write checks every, because we can print the money if we need to. Yep. And which is something that Oregon cannot do, which cannot is a do. problem, can, is a problem for PERS that is not a problem for Social Security. And that's the big difference. That's the yep. massive difference. So when people go, oh my God, the Social Security liability, it's like, yeah, okay, we're going to print the money. Um. And that's the the fundamental difference there. The um, the other thing is Social Security isn't invested. Well, we're getting to the point where there basically isn't money to invest. Now, Australia went the other way. Australia said, you are going to be required to invest, I think it's 9% of your pay into mm -hmm. a fund uh, that's like a 401k. It's like an, an IRA. So you take 9% pre-tax, put it in this fund. That money is then invested in the stock market, in the Australian. And what it's done is it's created this fire hose of money flooding into the Australia because everybody has it. Everybody has it. So they've got this fire hose of money that's flooding in, and they've created this situation where basically their stocks can't go down because every month more money floods into this thing and they just have to keep buying and buying and buying and buying and buying and buying and buying. And buying. So um, an interesting you know, uh, perspective there because if our social security corpus was invested in the stock market, holy smoke, right? And you had to fund it, it would be, it would be like this jet fuel injected into the stock market, which which brings you to all the retirement benefit money of every state, every teacher is all invested in the United States. It's all based on that promise is based on capitalism succeeding at the same time that they're trying to tear it apart. Well, what you're, what you're sort of describing, Alan, is, uh, is sort of a government sponsored Ponzi scheme <laughs> where you have to buy and like the, the, the people who got in first are benefiting from the money that people did at the end, um, which I don't, I, there are going to be unintended consequences of that. And I, you know, the, the, the way that Ponzi schemes fail is when you, when you stop getting new investors, but if the government mandates that everyone has to keep investing, does right. the Ponzi scheme ever fall apart or does it just continue forever? Well, that would be, that'd be an interesting thing to look at. It's the first slide in my PERS presentation where I put up, <laughs> no, I put up the definition of a Ponzi, Ponzi. <laughs> I, I put up the definition of a Ponzi scheme and I say, here's the definition. 
let me talk about the situation, and then at the end we'll review the definition. And I'm going to let you decide if you think what's going on here matches that. And th the fact of the matter is it does. Because in order for, for these retirement systems to work, you have to have continuously more and more and more and more people come into the system so that, yeah. so that the, the people coming out at the other end are being paid by the massive number of people that are coming into the system. And as this grows, this has to grow dramatically. And that alone says, oh, my God, we got to stop this, right? We, we, we have to. And I'm not – and when I talk about it, look, I'm not throwing rocks at any. I don't think they purposely created a Ponzi scheme. I think they were too freaking stupid to not understand <laughs> it. I, it they, these are not – I'm sorry. There's a, there's, a, there's a statement, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's never, never assume malice when stupidity is would right. uh, would explain the situation. I, I screwed that up. No, I, no, like that's. That. I think it's. Yeah. It, it it wasn't done on purpose. It was. Um, I mean, frankly, we'll segue into COVID. You've seen the same management, lack thereof, of COVID that we've seen with the finances of the retirement system. It's mm -hmm. ridiculous. The, the whole <clears throat> thing is ridiculous. We now have a situation here in Oregon where we're back. Um, the, the restaurants are closed down. And the state epidemiologist said that only 3% of all cases can even be traced to a restaurant. And, and like, my son-in-law has two restaurants. He shut down hard. But, but you know what? The federal government has a program that he's taking advantage of that paid him money, right? And it's yep. like, oh, my God, we've gotten to this point where the government is shutting down businesses and paying these businesses to be shut down. We're creating another situation like we did with farmers not growing crops or fishermen not fishing. And... It's it's beyond my imagination how and once you become once you become reliant on the government, it's really hard to get off reliance on the government. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's hard, and you have to try, and you have to make a conscious effort, and it costs. It's expensive. It's expensive to get off of government assistance. I was I was talking to uh, fishermen years ago. I don't know if it's still this way, but there was a year where. Uh, the fish didn't run, um, and it was a low water year, and the government said, you can't fish. And the fishermen came back and said, wait a minute, if we can't fish, we don't have income. The government said, no problem. We'll pay you the average over the last eight years of your three highest years of income. So the fishermen provided all the information. It sounds like a joke as I'm telling it, right? But this is what happened. And the government said, okay, here's your check. And they went, hmm. Okay, so next year, it was still a bad year. Government says, well, we'll pay you three highest years. Fisherman's lobby now goes, wait a minute, that wasn't enough. We need, you know, the average of the two highest years. And I'm butchering this story, but you get the gist of it. Government writes a check again. Fishermen now, after two years, they start doing things like sport fishing and taking their boats, you know, for, for sport fishermen and cruises and, you know, touring and whale watching and the, so they start and all the equipment starts going to shit excuse me but you know their their nets go and, and all these things and then the people that were working for them they go off somewhere else so now it's just the captain but he can do this on it and they told me we're now dependent on this we're now completely dependent on it we don't even have the infrastructure to go back if they said hey Fisheries open, go back and fish. <laughs> like, I, I, I can't, right? Yeah. And it's, it's like, look, capitalism can be brutal. It can also be miraculous. You can create incredible opportunities for people. Um, but once the government gets involved, it's like heroin. 
it's like, uh, you know, this. Yeah. And I, I, I just want the government out of these things. I, I was talking with the guy the other day and you're a small business guy too. And yeah. uh, a friend of mine said, look, he started his business 30 years ago. He worked for a guy, he slept in his car, you know, then he, he got a business. He almost went out of business. He maxed out his credit cards. He's, you know, staying one step in front of the, the credit agency. Now he is successful. But it, mm -hmm. it was 30 years of struggle and turmoil and difficulty and to get to that point. And there's many, many people out there that have done that. And they all say the same thing. Look, I could only do it in America. This is my dream. I'm so glad that I did it. It was incredibly hard. But I've created opportunities for people along the line and, and was able to, to make a nice career for myself. We've got to take COVID a break. We're going to come back oh. and and talk about talk about this, talk about COVID, and uh, wrap things up on a Sunday. This is Alan Alley and James Ball. The Portland Spirit is headed to the river. Hop on board today for great views of the Portland skyline and historic Milwaukee waterfront. See our local landmarks and bridges from a unique vantage point on the river. Grab a cocktail on our outer deck while enjoying some of our delicious local cuisine. Fun for the whole family with options including lunch, brunch, dinner, and the famous Heart of Portland cruise. Tickets can be purchased at portlandspirit.com. Welcome back. This is Alan Alley and James Ball. We're talking about Biden's speech, which he touched on just about everything, which leads us into a much, much broader discussion. James, we were, we were talking about entrepreneurship. Yeah, well, I was, I was going to say that COVID provided the perfect oh. smokescreen cover for government yeah. interference. Um, <clears throat> I, I mean, we could, we could rehash. Everybody lived through the last, you know, 16 months, so I don't need to go through all that. But when the government shuts everything down, then the government is almost responsible for making sure that, you know, people don't, maybe, you know, you've got the government interference shutting everything down, the government interference making sure everybody gets back up and running, and it normalizes government assistance. And this is one of the things that I've been talking about earlier. Remember 2008 when there was an $800 billion bailout and everybody lost their collective minds? Right. And now we have a $2 trillion bailout followed by another $2 trillion bailout followed right. by a $2 trillion infrastructure bill followed by all the stuff that Biden wants to give. We have normalized government spending. We have normalized government assistance. I mean, who would have thought that $2 trillion would be a reasonable thing for the gov government to talk about <clears throat> for any sort of plan, you know, even just a couple of years ago, but right. because we've, we've kind of gotten used to, Oh, the government can just print money. We'll, we'll throw out trillions of dollars in aid. Now it's been normalized. And now right. uh, the, the Democrats control both houses of Congress and the presidency. They're just going to push this stuff through. And I mean, the, the, hopefully there's, there's some pushback and, and resistance from the Republicans and, you know, the Joe mansions of the world, but, <clears throat> um, this is, uh, <laughs> that we have normalized the word trillion right. and that, that well, scares me a little bit. And, a and like I said, we have to be, we as a conservatives have to be eternally vigilant because it's, I know slippery slope is a fallacy, but it really is a slippery slope where right. once you normalize trillion dollar spending bills, you can't ever unnormalize trillion dollar spending bills. And next thing you get, you know, there's going to be $10 trillion spending sure. bill and you got to fund it somehow, whether that's through the money printer or through, you know, taxing people, which again, the, the math doesn't work out if you try to just tax the 1%. And so what ends up happening is you tax the middle class and you tax middle class enough. Now they, now the middle class needs government assistance and the, it spirals. Right. So no, it was uh, years ago where, I forgot, Jim Pacero would know this, but the, the comment that a billion here and a billion there and pretty soon you're talking about real money. Well, now it's a trillion. Yeah. yeah. Right. And yep. it, you're absolutely right. A trillion has become like a poker chip. If you're not mm -hmm. talking about a trillion dollar plan, you're not really talking about doing something big. And I'm going to do right. something big. I'm going to do a trillion. Two, no, two trillion. No. Four trillion dollars, right? We're going to completely, when he talked about that infrastructure bill, 
you would have thought that he's going to widen every freeway in the United States, right? Yeah. The yeah. Portland to Bend freeway, that, that would be done, that every bridge would be rebuilt with these magnificent, right? And Tim Scott gets on and he goes, yeah, 6% of his infrastructure plan is for roads and bridges. And the Republicans have an infrastructure plan that is for roads and bridges. And it's, I don't know, $600 billion, or an astronomical yeah. amount of money, right? That's still, though, I mean, compared to 2008, when 800, like, people oh, lost their minds over $800 billion, and now right. $600 billion is the conservative right. <laughs> response. Yeah, I know. Even, right? Like, oh, my gosh, I feel like we're living in crazy world. Like, no, anyway, totally. Sorry, go ahead. No, and, but that was his, that was his thing, is, you know, we're going we're gonna to spend, and, this trillion dollars is going to create these great jobs. It's going to do all this stuff. You know, one of the things that, that struck me when he was talking about this is all these jobs are kind of government jobs or government funded jobs. And then they talk about, well, we want to cut the military expense. Well, the military budget is a jobs program for Americans. That's, that's all it is. We we're not fighting with anybody right now, really. I mean, a, a tiny, tiny percentage is bullets and guns that get expended out the other end. When I worked at Boeing, I worked on a military program. We were doing the most advanced R&D of anything at the Boeing airplane company. And we were inventing new materials with our, in partnership with people to build aircraft that could complete these missions. All that R&D work went directly into the commercial airline company 10 or 15 years later. All Americans, working with Americans, developing American technology, American machining processes, American manufacturing processes. I mean, that whole military budget is a massive, super high-tech R&D budget for Americans. Chinese guys don't build B-1 bombers, right? We don't outsource yeah. that stuff. So, I understand, and this is where it just drives me crazy. We're politicians, right? It's, it's, it's like, guys, okay, let's do that for infrastructure, but let's be honest. Let's be honest about what this is. We don't probably really need 13 aircraft carriers and all the ships around those aircraft carriers, but who built those aircraft carriers? Who built those ships? What R&D went into that? It's 100% Americans, right? And let's be forthright about it. Let's, let's not, the, the politics around this stuff just drive me freaking crazy, which is probably why I never got elected to anything because I'm just too, <laughs> right? I just want to be straight with people and, and, and they can't be. And speaking of straight, let's talk about what's going on with COVID. I don't know if you've right. heard, but India is exploding. Have you heard this? I did, Oh, yeah. my gosh. Oh, India is a complete mess right now. Well, the, the death rate in India yesterday, which was, you know, oh, my God, look at the India death rate, was exactly the same as the death rate in the United States in March 30th of this year on a hmm. deaths per capita, right? Hmm. So... India has 1.3 billion freaking people. So, yes, the numbers look astronomically large when compared with, with our numbers. And I'm not saying let's sweep it under the rug. It's not an issue. You know, we don't need to be aware of it. But we should do this in context. We should say, look, India was basically at zero. When we were spiking, India was, was like round off error. So India's, India's cases are rising and the deaths are rising. But let's also look at, are they counting it as deaths with COVID the way we are doing it? Or are they counting it the way Singapore counts it? And that's deaths because of COVID. And did they switch their accounting systems? You know, did they switch from deaths because of COVID to meet a global standard of deaths with COVID? Or let's... Let's get the information out there because we now have vaccines and either the vaccines work 
or they don't work. And all the scientific journals that I've read say the vaccines absolutely work. And if the vaccines absolutely work, and we have now vaccinated the most vulnerable people in the United States, as evidenced by our death rate going right through the floor, uh, the death rate in the United States is going through the floor. Our death rate now in the United States is down to where it's a normal flu death rate. We don't shut down for the normal flu. Why yeah. are we all? Why, why are we still doing this? And this I, goes back to my eternally, eternally vigilant portion. Like once the government takes your money, once the government takes your power, it almost never gives it back. And this is kind of the the why I push back against mask mandates because you'll you'll get some people on the left who are, who would say like, oh, it's you know no shirt, no shoes, no service. Now it's no mask, no service. You know, it's like wearing a shirt, just just do it. It's not that big of a deal. But to your point, once the government takes that that step and it starts mandating something, it's really hard for them to walk it back, even when the need is no longer there. So um, I, yeah, I think it's important that we as conservatives push back even on these just minor minuscule uh, uh, etching away at our freedoms something as small as wearing a mask, which is really not that big of a deal. We still need to push back and we still need to resist because the, the, that's how the government works is they'll take your freedoms away one teeny bit at a time until, until they have all of them and they control everything. That's the nature of government. You know, and with that, I think we should wrap up for the week. <laughs> it was well said. <laughs> Uh, we'll be back next Sunday. This is Ali and Pacero with our friend James Ball. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. This has been Ali and Pacero with your hosts, Alan Alley and Jim Pacero. The podcast is produced by James Ball. Be sure to follow us on Facebook. And if you'd like to contact the show, you can send an email to alan at alanalley.com.